Welcome to Discovering Ignatius, a podcast series that seeks to explore the life, mind, and spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola. In 1521, a cannonball struck young Inigo de Loyola in the legs on the walls of Pamplona. His life and the lives of countless others would never be the same. That cannonball initiated a journey that turned Inigo into Ignatius and culminated in the creation of the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, and his own canonization as a holy saint of God. 500 years later, we gather to commemorate the life and lessons of Ignatius of Loyola, celebrating and reflecting upon the ways countless lives have been changed forever since that day a stray cannonball hit Inigo at the walls of Pamplona. I'm your host, Jim Kennedy, Jesuit Regent and Social Studies teacher at Marquette University High School in Milwaukee. This episode is the second of seven podcasts that will examine the life of Ignatius and help you discover Ignatius. Episode 2, The Dreamer. In the last podcast, I introduced three central aspects of Ignatius. Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuits, Ignatius, the mystic and author of the spiritual exercises, and Ignatius, the saint of God. He didn't start out that way, however, and Ignatius wasn't even his name at the beginning of his life. He went by Inigo. I introduced Inigo's early life and personality, sharing how he came from an aristocratic family in northern Spain and how his personality was shaped by his love of romantic literature. I also narrated Inigo's crucial, life-altering experience of being wounded by a cannonball during a battle outside of Pamplona. After a painful operation, Inigo was confined to his bed in the castle of Loyola, where he could do little else but lay in bed. Beset by boredom, Inigo demanded books to pass the time. Having a scant library to offer him, Inigo's sister-in-law Magdalena, who had grown concerned over the direction of Inigo's life, gave him two books, one on the life of Christ and another on the lives of the saints. When his recovery ended, Inigo left his bed and indeed left his whole life behind in order to take up the life of a pilgrim. Something happened after that encounter with the cannonball, something that changed Inigo's life forever. That something will be the subject of today's podcast. As Inigo struggled with boredom, his mind began to wander, and he filled his time with daydreaming. In his biography, Ignatius will later say his daydreams were shaped by a book he had read before his injury, the Amadis de Gaulle, a book about a brave, heroic, and chivalrous knight. He imagined himself imitating the knight Amadis of Gaul, performing heroic feats of arms, completing harrowing quests, all in the service of some unnamed lady, who would, of course, bestow her favor on Inigo. For hours, Inigo contemplated one vision of his life. Another vision, however, began to intrude. Guided by the books from his sister-in-law, Inigo began to imagine himself as a different kind of knight, a knight dedicated to serving a master greater than even the king of Spain, Christ. Especially influenced by the stories of St. Francis of Assisi and St. Dominic de Guzman, the founders of the Franciscans and Dominicans, respectively, Inigo imagined himself imitating the holy deeds of Francis and Dominic. Another vision crept into his consciousness. For hours, 
Inigo gave himself over to his daydreams. Not a man to do anything halfway, Inigo threw himself completely to his daydreams, imaginatively placing himself fully in both of his visions. When he imagined himself as the model knight, both his body and spirit were lit on fire with passionate desire. If only his legs would heal, he would be away from his convalescent bed, doing those great deeds now. When Inigo stopped daydreaming about being a worldly knight, however, he noticed a change. Whereas before his spirit and desire had come alive, afterward those feelings faded away and he became listless, tepid, and sluggish. Like a sugar high come and gone, Inigo's desire to be a noble knight diminished, and he became downcast and even depressed. Inigo experienced such swings of emotion, such extreme highs and low, that his caretakers began to worry about his health and fretted that he suffered from a serious fever. Inigo experienced a very different reaction when he contemplated imitating Saints Francis and Dominic. As before, Inigo's body and spirit came alive with fire and passionate desire to leave behind his bed and do great saintly deeds. When Inigo stopped daydreaming about following the examples of Francis and Dominic, however, the energy and desire did not fade away. Inigo remained energized and eager, willing to leave his bed and go be a new Francis or Dominic for Jesus, Inigo's heavenly king. Inigo noticed the difference. When he directed his imagination to his worldly ambitions, his desires and energies faded with time, leaving him despondent, unfulfilled, and listless. When he directed his imagination to the heavenly desires, however, he noticed that he remained energized and high in spirit. Significantly, he experienced these movements, as Ignatius would later call them, for significant periods of time. Inigo, after all, remained in bed for several months. The more Inigo paid attention to these movements within him, the more he paid attention to the pattern that followed. When his attention was on his worldly ambitions, eventually the fire and desire within him faded, but when his attention focused on the heavenly, his desire grew and grew. Eventually, Inigo judged that God was speaking to him through these desires and movements, and that what God wanted for Inigo was also what Inigo increasingly wanted for himself. Not to be a worldly knight caught up in egotistical military exploits and chivalric romance, but to be a pilgrim caught up in the far greater drama of serving God. And so, although he had never been particularly religious, Inigo left home to become a pilgrim. Inigo continued to reflect upon his desires and the movements within him. Eventually, he systematized his ideas in the spiritual exercises and what rules and guidelines for what he called the practice of discernment of spirits. Ever since, discernment of spirits has been a hallmark of Jesuit practice and spirituality.
I'm now joined by Cynthia Blaze, theology teacher here at Marquette High. And Ms. Blaze is going to talk with us about discernment, which is the subject of today's episode. Ms. Blaze, thank you for joining us. Not a problem. Thank you for asking me. So one of the classes you've taught past couple of years here at Marquette High is a class called The Call of Christ. And the focus of that class is on the issue of discernment, right? And I think, you know, I've, you've invited me into that class on a couple of occasions to talk a little bit about my own adventures right. in discernment. When you're preparing that class, how does Ignatius, his life, in particular his life, how does that kind of work its way into what you talk about in the class? In the discussion. Okay, so um, the spiritual exercises have a number of themes that we go through, seven in total. Discernment is the middle theme that we talk about and before each theme, we talk about Ignatius's life. So prior to that class, we're going to talk about his discernment of spirits, the decisions that he made in his life, and just the fact that every decision that he made wasn't an easy one, that we have to discern big things and small things. But as Christians, we need to allow Christ or our faith to be a part of that discernment. And so when you're getting kind of getting engaged with that particular question, what's your approach, right? How do you bring that to, to senior students, right? What's sort of the hook? Okay, so the hook is there will be articles that we will read and discuss. And there are a number of really good articles that talk about discernment in a young person or a young adult's life. So those are the beginning stages. You read this, we discuss it in class. We also use the Jesuit guide to almost everything. And so that's their textbook. So we also use Martin. And then from that, I have reflection questions. And the reflection questions are kind of based on their life, the decisions that they make. So for first semester, it really is discernment of what college right? They're discerning, you know, we'll pull in there, what girl should I invite to homecoming or to prom? Uh, those kind of things. They will then think about discernments that they've done in the past and maybe a difficult decision that they have had to make. I will take them to the chapel as well. And there is discernment kind of worksheet, step-by-step -step worksheet that I give them with a clipboard, put some music on, whatever topic they want to discern in their life. This is not something that I collect. So that it really is an application of actually discerning something. And it's usually positive. You know that I, I might use this again. That's a, that's a great thing. What, has, what, have you, what have you learned about discernment in accompanying the students through the process of discernment? I think what I have learned from them is that they have been making decisions all of their life that even though they are moral people, it wasn't an intentional thing that they allow Christ or allow their faith to be part of that discernment. And so it's a real aha moment for them. And in hindsight, some of the decisions that they've made, they really should have, or in hindsight, uh, the decisions that they've made, they really did look at their faith or even look at somebody else, you know, as far as how decisions have been made. What I also have learned is they really don't like to use their imagination. So, you know, Ignatius, imagine yourself at the pearly gates or imagine yourself on your deathbed. 
although they, you know, attempt to try to do that, that I think that's too far-fetched for them. <laughs> what I've also learned too is that if you put it in the context where your decisions affect other people, that your decisions have a ripple effect, that really kind of gets them to think more about the decisions that they make and how it might affect the quality of life of other people, their parents, uh, their younger brothers and sisters, a girlfriend, a friend, you know, where they go off to college and what that means for their parents, uh, you know, those kind of things. So I have learned from, from doing this class that discernment for them is going to be a much more difficult thing than just making a decision. That's a, that's a really, that's a really interesting point. And it, and it kind of reminds me of one of the, uh, aspects of Ignatius's autobiography. One of the things he says about himself, he's always a little critical of himself, but I think he's, he's touching on something true here. He said, I learned to stop making mistakes by making mistakes. And I think asking the students to look back at some of their previous decisions, and many of their decisions were good and were influenced by, by the good spirit, others were not. And I think that opens, I think from what you said, that kind of opens uh, things up to them to sort of put right. more of themselves, more intentional into the into the equation. Looking a little bit at at Ignatius, then, what do you think some of the mistakes that he might have made that you would perhaps highlight in class about you know to the students? Right, you're getting into a discernment. Don't do this. Avoid this kind of thing. What would what would you say? Kind of tying into Ignatius a little bit. Well, the biggest thing that we talk about is his not understanding that he didn't need to hurt himself, that he didn't need to not keep himself clean, that every time he thought about, you know, a steak and potatoes that, you know, he felt like he had to, to punish himself, those kind of decisions. You know, we talk also about the fact that he really wanted to do good in teaching, teaching whoever, whatever group he decided he wanted to teach, but he did need education ahead of time. So it took him a while to get to that point of being arrested and all these other things to get to the point that, you know, maybe I better educate myself. And so is God pointing you in that direction, you know, and were you listening when, you know, all of those times you got in trouble for teaching, you know, that you need this education. And so he got it, he got the education and look what happened. So when you understand that God is in the plan, that you prepare yourself for some of the things that, that you want to do in your life, your gifts, your, your passion. And he was definitely driven by his passion. You got to get it together. You got to take your, your gifts and your talents and get it together. And then you got more to offer. And so that is, you know, a couple of the things that we talk about in class and they can, you know, see, you know, I really want to be the best basketball player, but I hate to go to practice, you know, those kind of things. I, I want to be in the Milwaukee Symphony, but it takes up all of my time. It but also takes sacrifice and energy and time and commitment and those kind of things. So just looking at their gifts and talents, but they have to be realistic about those gifts and talents and those passions. Those aspects of Ignatius, which we'll kind of talk about in, in, right? in later <laughs> episodes, you know, when he, he, he really does kind of you know, go from one thing to another and each right. one he thinks he's got it and then yeah. it's shown to him not quite and then he's That's got right. it. But, but all the, at the same time 
his his passion and his desire right yeah. that doesn't really that doesn't really change it's just sort of the form he has to kind of take it in you know it has to it adapts to his circumstances yeah in that last section i was really interested and in, you were talking about helping the students in a sense be clear about what they need in order to sort of pursue the desires that they have you know i want to be the great basketball player okay that's going to include practice right i want to be in the milwaukee symphony that's going to take up a lot of time how do you teach the students to sort of look at their desires and start making sense of a what their desires are and b what pursuing that desire is going to kind of entail for them okay looking at at saint ignatius first that what he wanted to do is to walk in the footsteps of jesus That's the end goal. What is your end goal? Most of the time it's go to college and get a degree and have a family and be successful. Then we have to kind of figure out what is successful. So we we talk about, is it successful because you're making a lot of money? Is it successful because your gifts and talents are toward a common good? And that's where we are in the class right now. What are the gifts and desires is really difficult for them to kind of articulate right now. I just took them through a spiritual inventory. And so what are your top five spiritual gifts and how might they apply to your, your passion, what you like to do in life? And so just kind of baby steps to, to get them there. At this point and first semester, it is really unclear to them what their vocation is. It's a little more clear second semester and they know that they want to be an engineer or they know that they want to pursue a military career, but within that career, where do you want to go? I mean, do you want to, you know, get four and done and, you know, get an education? Are you looking to be a sergeant or, and and what will that entail? What are the gifts and talents? What are the leadership skills? Martin talks about leadership skills from Lowney talk about those leadership skills. Quite a few at Market High, the, one of their spiritual gifts, gifts is leadership. How do we get you to a place where you are a good leader? So today we're talking about who should I be? Uh, and that really talks about identity and what kind of person are you? And so just kind of baby steps to get them to the point where my hope at the end of the, the semester is they know themselves a little bit better they may not necessarily know what they want to do in life, but at least they're on the, the steps in the right direction. They begin to think about it and maybe they're more aware of who they are and what their gifts and talents are and how they can use them for the common good. Yeah, that, that's really that's really interesting. It, it, it kind of captures sort of two aspects that I, I really I really like about Ignatius and we see, especially kind of that, that part when he's in bed in his recovery, it's, yeah. it's very practical. Right. Right. He's looking directly at, I want to be this, or I want to be this, right? And it's, it's rooted in real things. At the same time, it is also being shaped so heavily by his kind of increasingly mm-hmm. real encounter with, with Jesus Christ through the books right. that he's reading. And so kind of as a kind of try to bring those two pieces together, how do you sort of tie the really, really practical relationship with Jesus Christ is very practical. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't kind of oppose them, but how do you, how, how do you tie the sort of the kind of in their kind of the, the, the their own lives, the desires they have with the, the, the call of Christ, which is the title of the course? How do you, how do you bring those pieces together for them? Okay. So every aspect of uh, the spiritual exercises, uh, St. Ignatius brings back to Christ, right? So every 
theme starts with how he feels about discernment, how he feels about sin, um, how he feels about community and friendship. So we start right away with what St. Ignatius is saying about these various themes. And that's practical for them. I mean, friendships are really important for them right now. What kind of friend are you? It's not just you know, you got a lot of friends. What's the difference between a friend and, you know, friend group? Who are your friends? What are the qualities of that friend that you really like, Are you that, that you're driven to? And so all of these themes are very practical so that we all sin, right? That we all mess up. They have to write a paper at the end of each of these seven units. And we also look at a movie that will reflect the, the theme. So we just watched Soul. Soul is identity. And so in that very practical way, we have things that we, we are driven to, but this, this movie is kind of explaining that relationships are important too. You can't just be so driven that you don't enjoy your family, that you don't enjoy your extracurriculars, that you're so focused on this one thing that you want to do that you forget that this is part of your vocation too, that vocation is bigger than your career or your job or your profession. So my job in this course is to take what we are talking about, whatever theme that might be, and turn it inward for them, to try to help them articulate for themselves what this theme means for them and for their life. So, you know, I don't want a paper that gives all of their, you know, true confession, but I do want them to acknowledge that there are some things that they could do better, that they could do better and be better, you know, in their everyday life. It's not easy to do this for them, but when I'm thinking about the reflection questions that we're going to do, reflection questions from the movie that we've watched, they're not supposed to be easy questions, right? They really have to self-reflect. Uh, and if the paper isn't a self-reflection paper, then they get it back and they have to do it again. So... No, no literary analysis paper. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I saw the movie. I read the articles, right? <laughs> right. And I, and I feel like I'm, you know, like the spiritual director where if you're meeting with a spiritual director for an hour a day, you're not talking about what you saw last night on the news. You're talking about you and your life and, you know, what's going on in your life and, and you know, where did you see God? You know, the, the they have to write examens during this this semester. And so... They're getting to the point where they have to self-reflect at the end of the day, you know, what could I have done better? What did I do really, really great? And what can I do tomorrow that would be better than before? Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much. I want to take this class now, even though I've, I've done a 30-day retreat. <laughs> right. Find me up for, for this class. And I, and I, and I just to end, I love the, the title, The Call of Christ. And right. I think that is what could be a description of Ignatius's life. Right. He, right, especially after the cannonball of him responding to the call. And I just, I, I love the fact that we, we have a class that allows us to, yes. absent maybe a cannonball hitting people in the legs, exactly. allows people <laughs> to sort of enter into that experience that was the Ignatius, the experience of Ignatius, the experience of so many other saints. So thank you for, thank you for offering that class. And thank you for uh, joining, joining me today. This has been a really great conversation about discernment. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I, you know, very uh, many opportunities to, to share what you're doing in class. And I enjoy it very much. And it gives me the flexibility to tailor it toward the kids that are in the, in the, in the seats, that it's not just this one pocket folder that you just pull stuff out of, but you kind of gauge the, the community of the kids and you can, you know, pick and choose what you're going to uh, address in the class. And it seems to work. 
lot of chapel thinking too, a lot of meditation, contemplation, just kind of, it's fun. It's fun for me too. Sounds like fun. It sounds like a lot of grace. So all right. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Discernment and the discernment of spirits are foundational to Ignatian spirituality and constitute a major portion of St. Ignatius's gifts to all who are part of the church. Discernment is a critical practice to recognizing God's will and desires for our lives and is crucial to the life of faith. Ignatius recognized that discerning God's will had transformed his own life. In the next episode, we'll discuss what Inigo did when he left his recovery bed at Loyola. After leaving Loyola, Inigo will enter a period of profound darkness and guilt-ridden self-examination. On the other side of that harrowing experience, however, Inigo will come to understand who he was, a sinner loved by God. Thank you for listening to the second episode of Discovering Ignatius. Musical audio for this podcast is Faxed by Gustav Holtz, produced and recorded by Kevin McLeod.